The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You're listening to the Late Morning Program with Nam Ras, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm here, very honored to have uh, Mother Gopi Gita, the author of Leadership Parenting Empower Your Child's Social Success. She's also a parent coach and an educational consultant for. The International Society for Krishna Consciousness, ISKCON. Gopi Gita, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Krishna. Namras Prabhu. It's been it's incredible to be on the other side of the screen. I, I watch a lot of your podcasts. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I wanted to bring you on because I'm really interested. Um, you know, actually, a lot of devotees uh, have been asking me for more themes of parenting, uh, children, marriage things of education, things of that nature. So I know you're really in that space a lot. So I'd love to hear about your story. Also pick your brain about things. I myself am a parent of young children. So I have so much to ask, so much to inquire about. But first of all, let's start with your own personal journey. You are a second generation devotee. Your parents are devotees. So that's in itself is a very fascinating thing. Uh, on on the way of how you raised your children who are now 20 and 18, which is uh, awesome. Um, scary for me, to be honest, to hear. Like, it's if scary they're... for me too. It's still scary for me. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so let's start there. Um, where were you born? And, and tell us about how you kind of uh, progressed until where you are now. Yeah, thank you. Um... I just wanted to say I am so it's so exciting to speak to you, Namras, because I know your sister. I've known your brother-in-law for years. I I have um, yeah great great uh, respect for you and the work that you're doing. Thank I'm you so, so excited much. to be here. I, I was born in Chicago in the late 70s. My father and mother both joined um, early to mid 70s in Iskand, Chicago. They were uh, one of the few Indian congregation members. Most of the devotees at that time were full-time devotees living in the temple. And my father tells the stories of how when he would be there for Mangalartik and then have to go to work at nine o'clock, he, he had three clinics he was running at the time that all the other devotees were going out for book distribution because that was the time, 77, 78, 79, real hub of book distribution there in Chicago. And he says he always felt like, oh, he wished he could just go with them and not have to do his his dentistry. And so I was raised at that time where right around the corner, you feel like Srila Prabhupada is coming. You know Srila Prabhupada is alive. Srila Prabhupada is with you. Um, 1980, 1981, we moved to Detroit. And we did Gurukul there in Detroit. Um, my first memories, really powerful memories, are in the temple room at Mangalarti time. I remember my sister was a little younger, and so she would sleep in the back. And I actually remember thinking, why is she sleeping? She should be awake for Mangalarti. And we were, I was probably three or four. Um, and my first real visual of the deities was a whole, but it's all dark, and a whole bunch of devotees with the legs of the men, you know how the dhoti rides up the back of the leg, yeah. just seeing the legs, because I was so small, there was just like, I think three or four of us girls, and we stood on the men's side behind the men, apparently, and I have this real strong visual of the men dancing back and forth at Mangalaki time, yeah. so, yeah. Some scars. 
some of my early memories. Yeah. Wow, wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then, what at what age uh, did you leave Gurukul and you did you go to college? And yeah, like we went to Gurukul um, for the majority of our childhood. I went to a private school for a few years, and like most ISKCON kids, my generation, we traveled a lot. After my uh, dad gave up his dentistry and just became a consultant, he took on full-time preaching. He was the congregational director at a temple. He was a temple president at a temple. Um, he, you know, he was doing a variety of services and was pretty much moved from temple to temple every three or four years. And so my husband has the same history. He's in that same generation. And I uh, went to Gurukul High School in North Carolina with Mother Ermula. And after that, moved to Laguna Beach to join the temple there and associate with my husband and mm -hmm. continued my education there, my college education there in mm -hmm. uh, ISKCON Laguna Beach at UCI. Oh, wow. And how did you meet your husband? Was it uh, you knew him? Tell us that story. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> Oh my God, that's like a whole nother long, long story. So in those days, um, in those days, we were we didn't date. We were living in North Carolina Temple with um, Birgshamaraj and his whole um, group of devotees. We Gurukul started, high school started at Mangalarti time. It was one of the most fabulous times of my life, honestly. Yes, I was very isolated, and I do wish I had a little more external experience. Um, at the time, but everyone in ISKCON, this was, I guess, now early 90s, real early 90s. And I uh, basically, I was the last of our group of friends to find uh, a boy that I was okay with spending the rest of my life with. My sister had already found her husband. Most of our friends had already um, become engaged and were getting ready to get married. And I remember going to Radha Golokananda. I had been accepted into a fast track program for the Duke Medical University. And oh, it was wow. either I'm going to go become a doctor or I'm going to go and get married. And so <laughs> I was very young. I think I was 18. 17. Um, and I remember going to Radhika Lokananda and saying, hey, like I'm starting in, there were a few boys that I had already associated with that weren't, I wasn't seeing a future with them. I didn't necessarily think that um, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with them. And so I had kind of, we had kind of called it quits. And I asked Radhika Lokananda, um, I'm really, um, I'm going to go and get my medicine, my medical degree. And if I'm doing that, that's like at least six, eight, 10 years. That's my focus right now. Unless you bring me somebody before my school starts. And I remember oh. that prayer. I remember that prayer. You know, we saw the DDs every morning for hours and they were our life. My Jebba was super strong. It was like super fanatic lifestyle, but in a very wonderful way. And um, the week after uh, my dad got a call from my husband's family in Laguna Beach. And they, you know, contacted my dad and my husband's American. And so the other the other boys that were I was talking to were Indian because I knew that was important to my grandfather back in India. Right. And so my uh, my father said, look, this looks like a promising situation. What do you think? And I was a little hesitant because he's on the West Coast and he had already been associating with another really good friend of mine and that hadn't worked out. And I was like, you know, in those days we were so fanatic. It was like everyone on the West Coast were fringies and everyone on the East Coast <laughs> were like Pakapir devotees. <laughs> I, didn't, 
<laughs> I know it's interesting. This is very public, so I want to be careful. I'm not just talking to the phone, but um, yeah. I didn't eat carmy grains. I didn't watch TV. We were very, very strict, you know, back yeah. in the early 90s. And at least that community that we were in, we were extremely strict. But we also had heard that he's making an income. And there were very few, um, like, Guru Cooley boys that were also comfortably making a good income that were American, that were in the corporate world. And so, you know, that's every dad's dream. A uh, really good devotee and making good money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so my, my father said, let's try it out. So there was actually a Vaishnav um VTE course happening for six weeks in California and it coincided with Rathiatra. So we decided, okay, let's go there. And I saw that as Radha Golokananda saying, this is who we're, this is who we're bringing to. There were a few other options. And I remember being in LA and having to make the choice, him or him, but uh, Krishna guided it. Then when wow. I met my husband, there were no questions. I I remember sitting with him, talking to him about home programs, about the BBT. His family was running the Laguna Beach Temple, about service. And, you know, there were no questions. It was just like, this is it. This is meant to be. So. Wow. How many years have you been married now? 24, I want to say. Wow. Awesome. 24 years. Yeah, Congratulations for that. That's great. <laughs> I think your husband, uh, he created GuruKuli.com, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. For people who don't know, like all these new, <laughs> you know, like not millennial, I'm a millennial, but like these Gen like Z's. generation, yeah, the new yeah. generation, GuruKuli.com was the place for people to socialize, kid, devotee kids to socialize. And and your husband, Rupa, right? He he yes. created that website. Amazing. Well, thank you for your listening. It was like pre-Facebook. This was pre-social media, yes. pre-MySpace. I remember yes. when I started using MySpace and I put up a profile in MySpace, he was so annoyed. He was like, why are you <laughs> going over to the dark side? I have grookly.com. Why are all the grooklies going over to MySpace? Yeah. It was like ingested. Way yeah. before its time. It was great. Very innovative things yeah and so so you only went to public school that private school that you mentioned is that the only time yes. like under uh for two two years only for two oh. years the rest was, of my education it was hard <laughs> it was a complete change um i didn't know i didn't listen to music i didn't know how to relate to others my sister fared better than me um she's always been a little more socially comfortable and for me it was it was difficult the first year uh, my picture was in the yearbook as like top nerd of the school or something like that oh and I was so embarrassed I remember walking into rooms and then making fun of me the kids making fun of me the next year I did the exact opposite I just became very wild and just wanted to be really popular and be with the popular kids and my grades started dropping and I once was writing um I also remember, you know, we all have a deep connection of, with Krishna no matter where we go. And I remember Mahatma Prabhu's Mukundamala Stotra, Krishna Tvadiya Padapankaja. And I used to sing, listen to that at nighttime. And when will my mind be wrapped in the lotus, in your lotus feet? Because what if at the end of my life I'm choked up and I can't think of you? And I had written that one day I was feeling this when I was in my wild stage. I was feeling this tension of, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? And this isn't who I am. And feeling that identity crises and as Gopika and Akshav so expertly 
penned the masking syndrome that most of our second gen kids have to go through. Yeah. And I had written on the back of a homework paper, the I had drawn a picture of Krishna and written the whole verse with the Sanskrit and English on the back of the homework paper. Um, this was eighth grade. And my parents got a call that week from the counselor's office. And suddenly I'm being called out from math class. I will never forget this, that I have to go see the counselor. Both of my parents are sitting there. My dad was a temple president of Potomac Temple. And it's a really big deal. And Pitaji's sitting here like, oh my God. And the counselor says, your daughter is suicidal and we need to get her checked up. And this is because I had written that, that prayer. Oh my gosh. What a story. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't know where that was going, but I just connected it now. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then what happened? They talked to her. They made some appointment for some psychologist and we went home and then nothing came of it. But I was like, oh, okay, I can't show my Hare Krishna side. People won't understand it. You yes. Know? Wow. That's a great yeah. illustration of, of exactly what you said. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. And then, um, and then after, so you went to, you went to college in Laguna beach and, uh, you got married. I was full-time, uh, full-time working at the temple, serving at the temple, okay. uh, from Mangalarti all the way till night, we were running the restaurant, cooking for the restaurant, doing the deity worship, doing the back end, and then doing college classes here and there and doing the certifications. I was working on some and yeah, this was about four or five years before our first children were born. Mm -hmm. And then we had a change in the temple presidency and just continued serving to the best that we could, uh, fundraising, um, event planning, you know, all the temple stuff, Sunday school organization. So, yeah. And uh, when did you start getting interested in what you do now, like parent coaching or uh, educational consult consultation and things? Yeah. So when I was... Um, it's weird to start speaking about it because right now at this time in my life, I definitely feel like I'm I'm set in the purpose that Krishna has asked me to be, that Shri Prabhupada wants me to be. And when I was nine years old, my mom had bought a book, um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen by Adele Faber. And it was on the table. And I remember being captivated by it, grabbing it and reading it all night. And then I remember uh, correcting her. <laughs> When she would do things like, no, mommy, you're supposed to do this. And she would get so annoyed. <laughs> That's uh, and then, <laughs> it's yeah, it was a very bossy side of me. And I write about this in my introduction. To I, my I read that. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. I read that. Part. Yeah. How I learned how not to be bossy. But um, when I was uh, in my teenage years in Mother Ermila's school, she had multi-level classrooms, uh, one-room schoolhouse type of experience for the high schoolers, and she really empowered me to become a teacher. Um, I, I loved the way she teach, the way she taught. Um, personally, I was, I was very attached to her. Still am, and she um, she gave me a bunch of books to read, the Law of Expectations, the Law, and she really empowered me. She gave me a few classes to teach, and that's when I really started my teaching career, like um, teaching full time there in her school. Or I don't think it was full time; it was part time. Then I moved to Laguna and started teaching in the Sunday school, and I started doing full time tutoring, and so I was always teaching. Once I um, had the boys, I opened up a preschool in Laguna. It was a small little preschool out of my garage. And this was when my husband was also in the hospital. And we had nine to 12 kids at a certain point. Then we moved here to um, Iskand Dallas and became fully engaged, a full-time teacher at the private school here. So I wanna, uh, I wanna mention something that uh, you said earlier about 
<clears throat> you had to choose at one point to either go to medical school, like you said, you do, you know, you had a, um, uh, like a, uh, a program. I had that a fast track program fast track, yes, right. that I was or, accepted because of my SAT scores and my transcripts and something. Yeah. yeah. So, so that on one side and then the other side marriage and mm -hmm. how do you look back on that time? Because a big thing people talk about nowadays yeah. is the traditional woman though yeah. is, is, you know, becoming married at a younger age, having children at a younger age, or on the other side, you know, uh, prioritizing a career, uh, like for in your example, you, you know, you could have been a doctor. So do you look back on that yes. time? Like, what could have happened in the sense of becoming a doctor? Or do you think, you know, I this I was doing what my dharma was, or you felt was, uh, you know, being a wife, being a mother, a homemaker, etc, like that. So what are your um, kind of views on that? That's a great question, and I do think that it's going to have different answers for different women sure. uh, uh, according to their natures. I um, was raised in a very traditional ISKCON society, um, very traditional Indian ISKCON society. And in my 30s, I definitely questioned my life choices um, about getting married so young and not pursuing my career, but also knowing that the Lord lays out a path for each of us. And at every step when I was making that decision, I felt at the time that I was making it really intelligently. Um, being an MD, only recently, I would say about seven years ago, I was sitting at um, a vegan restaurant with two of my closest friends. They're both doctors. And I asked them point blank. I'm like, do you guys re regret being doctors? Are you happy to be that you spent so many years of life in education and medicine? Um, and then I asked, would you do it again? And the answer that came back to me was immediate and really strong. And they both said no. And then, of course, they explained. Yeah. But when I heard that no, it was like, mm. it was like super revelation because I had for many years had this underlying thing like, what if my life was different? Did the choice I make, was it the right choice? And now, because I did have my children relatively young, I'm finding that they're both older, we're having such a blast with each other and I'm able to really pursue my dreams. Right. So, you know, the whole philosophy, we used to actually sit around the table in North Carolina and discuss marriage, discuss relationships, discuss, we were always looking for, okay, the point of marriage is Krishna conscious children. You know, we were really focused at that time. We were very like Srimad Bhagavatam was our world. And so we were very focused and we were really like the purpose of life is to serve humanity and save humanity. I definitely went through quite a bit of time in my life where I questioned that. I still maintained all my external services, but definitely my 30s was questioning, okay, wait a minute, was that way too um, strict? Why did I go down the traditional route? And I do think it depends on the society you're raised in as well, you know, who you're for, for women now, for for young uh, young adults that are looking for what their options are, it really, a lot of it does depend on your association and who you're spending time with, who your spiritual master is, what kind of guidance you're getting. A lot of the girls don't have that traditional background, that traditional setup, that feeling of comfort that, oh, I am going to find a guy that protects me. Even now with my 20-year-old and my 18-year-old, I'm having conversations like, yeah, maybe you should date a little, like see who's out there. And then I'm like, 
wait, is that the right advice? Uh, why am I saying that they should date a little, you know, like, so we're always navigating this and always learning, but it really does depend on your environments. I, yeah, I like what you said about that you, uh, you felt like Krishna was there in the sense of step, the steps you're taking uh, were, were meant to happen. You know, it, yes. it's like, it's like a, a faith thing that whatever, you yes. know, the, whatever the way the Lord kind of lights my path, then that's yes. what, yeah. And then the thing about the doctor too, my mother is a retired doctor and I, mm -hmm. I asked her the same thing. Like, should I become a doctor? I was like, well, this is a really long time ago. And she's like, no, absolutely don't do yeah. it. So yeah. that I can definitely uh, find similarities in, in your story as well. Um, mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more about, um, uh, the parent coach, parenting coaching and kind of educational consultations that, or consultant rather, uh, how you got into that? Yes. Yeah, so everything I have learned about um, working with children. And if you would have asked me when I was 14, if I would be like around children and love children, I would be like, oh. really? But now I've been serving children for so many years. I can say I really understand their needs. I always get another, a new child that is, you know, a new student or a new student to other teachers that we discuss and we work through. And we're always learning different ways to understand children's needs. And everything I've learned about how to work with children, how to interact with them, how to inspire them, empower them, I've learned through the bhakti culture. Mm -hmm. um, the bhakti yoga process, it works for everybody. And the communities of the spiritual world that we're a part of, they're all centered around kids. Yes. Goloka Vrindavan, Navadweep, all of the pastimes, yes. Ayodhya, it all starts with the beauty of children and their life, all the way details. Nimai's life is detailed with how many pastimes, half of the pastimes are of his childhood, then the second half are of his Sankirtan Yagya stage. Same with Krishna and Balaram. Krishna's an eternal kid, basically. And the shift from society in general away from children, it pains me greatly. And so what really made me step into this service was when my 20-year-old, who you just saw, was in the hospital with a brain tumor. Um, and he was 15. And we've been, we've had our fair share of, of uh, difficulty. My husband had cancer, recurring cancer quite a few times. It debilitated his feet. He has not had the best um, track record with being able to walk and stamina and medicines and neuropathy and blah, blah. And so when this happened, it was like, oh, my God, like, Krishna, I don't want to be the poster child for suffering. Like, Jaipataka marriage is so incredible and so amazing. I'm nowhere near that. Like, why is this happening? What is your plan? And at that time, I had to really go very deeply inward. And especially during that six-hour surgery, um, he had come home and been unable to read. And then everything went downhill from there. And we were so lost, um, my husband and I, we were so lost in the like, what is the purpose here? What is your reason? We had found reasons and we had, you, someone can say we had rationalized it. Someone with a scientific mind can say, oh, you use religion to rationalize it. But we had found reasons. We had found understanding from the Lord as to why the cancer was hitting again and again. But um, when it's your own child, the pain I felt, Namras, and I'm sure, you know, you're a dad you know what the pain of a mother is and a father is, the pain of a parent. And I have never, ever felt that intense pain in my entire life, wouldn't wish it upon anyone. And um, really digging deep during that time, it was about five or six week period of real intensity. 
as to my dear Lord, what is your message here for me? Of course, Vraju, Vraju Kishore, he had his own questioning. Uh, he was so stoic during that time. How old um, was he? I was, he was 15. Wow. Uh, he had been he had been accepted into the dual credit program. He had been acknowledged by newspapers. He was like the genius kid coming out of TKG Academy. Um, you know, like my goal, Namras, and still is, is to is to help our society inside and outside of ISKCON to see that Krishna consciousness can make you, can give you full academic, spiritual, social, intellectual support for anybody what to speak of the kids, mm -hmm. that children can go to exemplary schools and get full, complete success academically and spiritually, materially in every way, you know, if it's properly structured and, you know, you've got good staff and it's organized and intelligently laid out. And that was like my shining proof, my son at 15. Here is a really nice devotee boy. He's like in the dual credit program. He's two years ahead. He's getting amazing grades. Everybody's like, wah, wah, like, wow, what an amazing kid. And then he comes home and Krishna takes away the ability to read. <laughs> so so you, I can't, I can't imagine that. Like, how did you deal? How did you get through that? What, what kind of, what did you lean on during that time? Yes, um, I don't want to be cliche, but it was the holy name of Krishna. And it was R.T. Swami's nightly texts, Ritad Maharaj's nightly texts. And um, we had so many Vaishnavas that were praying for us and taking care of us. And my my community here, my family here, my Gurukuli friends here, um, my my husband, his mother, sister. My sister flew in from Mayapur. She was in Kirtan Mela and she flew in with Lorna Shrigadev's Kavacha. And we were so fortunate. We wow. And Maraj literally came to the hospital and stayed with us for five or six hours every day. And we were all there laughing and the nurses would have to, we'd have to get chairs in from the nurse station because we were all having such a blast externally. Internally, it was like, am I alive? Like, is this real? Like I had to get a substitute teacher for my class. And I remember going to the school to try and open the door to figure out like, okay, let me make, you know, share my lesson plans and tell the substitute how to do this. And I couldn't figure out, like, I'm like fiddling with the key. And it took me like eight minutes to figure out what the key was. Like as a mother, I had lost my mind. I was pouring cereal milk and the milk just kept pouring. Oh my and goodness. if anyone knows me, I'm very efficient. Like that's totally... I remember that, but I don't know. I think it was because of the association of the devotees, really, that I felt, especially pure devotees like Maharaj and Giraj Maharaj and my spiritual master and so many were carrying us. I felt, you know that, you know that poem, The Footprints in the Sand, Namras? Like, that was the first time it's where God is saying, you. there's a, a weird, oh, yes, weary yes. traveler that's walking with God. Yes. And at my lowest in my life, there's only one pair of footprints. Why did you desert me? And yeah. God is like, no, dear one, that's when I carried you. Yes, I love that. Yeah. And I haven't felt this for um, the previous tribulations in my life. And we've had quite a bit of them. I've, I've had quite a dramatic life with child abuse and cancer and blah, blah, blah. But I did at that time feel like... I was being carried and there was a reason for this and it's getting easier to talk about it. It's, it's still difficult to talk about, but yeah. 
Raju himself, you know, he was the one with the tumor. It almost was like it wasn't the end of the world for him because he was used to his dad getting tumors and going into the hospital. And so I also realized that, wow, this is another blessing that my husband said, <laughs> cancer, it seems so like dramatic, but that for him, it's, he's known this since he was like two years old. And so like it wasn't him, like it was cold. Like, it wasn't like cold, just going into the hospital. Like he had experience of the hospital due to his father being in. Yeah, exactly. And so I remember as clear as day walking from room to room to room and seeing so much pain babies with brain tumors moms and dads sitting outside just bawling whole groups of parents just crying and they don't have krishna they don't have maharaj and sister and mother-in-law is a prophet disciple and parents and blessings and money pouring in none of that they have no understanding of what is in the next life and i remember feeling my pain is so severe like, no wonder Narada Muni goes up and sees Rukmini and Dvarkadish Krishna in the spiritual world and says, hey, what the hell? Like, how can you be laughing here? There's so much pain down there. And this was just one corridor in one hospital in Dallas. And it was such an eye opener. Like, I have been wasting my time. The Lord has given me so much, so many blessings. And I need to devote as seriously as possible every one of my minutes to helping parents in this world. And that calling came to me very strongly at that time. So mm, amazing. What, what, what uh, prompted you to write this book, Leadership Parenting? So I've been working on it since then. I started writing at that time. Um, then in 2020, we went for a few months sabbatical. The first time we took off from the Gurukul service um, in, I guess, 14 years. And we took the boys and we went to Mayapur and I went to Vrindavan to write. So I continued writing it there. I had submitted it uh, for a proposal to a few different publishers a few different times to give bhakti parenting to the world. Um, it wasn't accepted until about, I think, September of 20. 21 September of 2021 okay so a year ago yeah. I got a call from a publisher I had submitted in oh, um, an email I got an email and they were like ready to hear more and so oh. it was a stringent like four month process and they finally accepted all the paperwork was in and all of the work that I had to do to work on my proposal and my initial manuscript was in by January. And then it was a real intense process with them. The Difference Press, Dr. Angela Loria, she's a she's the author incubator, like she works with authors on on uh, self-help books and difference makers is what she calls them. And so she has a real solid pr process. And her team, after reading and talking to me and studying with me, uh, coined the term leadership parenting um, and worked with me to get that term, empower your child's social success. Because really uh, teaching at a time during the pandemic, the biggest issue was our children's socialization from threes and fives to to teenagers, all were struggling with this. And I mentioned this in the book, basically, um, from three to six, you go through egocentrism, which is a natural psychological stage to empathy. And that was being skipped. 
And that happens again in a different way during pre-adolescence and into adolescence from uh, 11, 12 to like 16, 15, 16. And that was also being skipped. Everyone is on screens. You're socially distancing. You can't be close to people. It messed up with so many stages and we saw the effects of it all around us in the online classes that I taught with the parents that I was working with. And it was dramatic. Some parents were struggling really badly with it. And so in life, whatever weakness you have, whatever challenge you have, whatever threats you have, if you really take shelter of the Lord and you can intelligently work past it, it turns into an opportunity. And so what I noticed was that the social uh the social dysfunction that I know all of the world has just gone through for two years, what I feel is that it's the opportunity for the golden age because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is all about social comfort and leadership with Sankirtan. Sankirtan means social comfort and social empowerment. And so that's what, what came to me was that that ability to drop from something that's broken because of this pandemic to something that's um, incredibly life-changing through the bhakti process. So if you could tell us like, what does leadership parenting actually mean? Yes. That's such a big, heavy question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, Namras, when I see you, I see you as a leadership parent. Oh, really? Uh, leadership parent is someone who's now, you know, I've been doing podcasts in non Hare Krishna spaces, but it's a little easier to talk to my people, the devotees here. Leadership parenting is parents who are ready to serve collaboratively and bring their children along with them as they step into the next level of their Krishna consciousness. Mm. And so who are connected enough with their children empowering their children, making all of the tasks service, working through working through all the challenges that come their way and not leaving their kids behind, but bringing their kids along with them. So in the, uh, in the contemporary spaces and the non-bhakti spaces, it's being presented as you don't have to give up your dreams and stepping into your next level of serving whether that be a corporate world where you're a leader, you're managing teams, whether that be as a PTA mom where you're managing a lot of different people, whether that be as the person who's cleaning the dishes at the end of the event because you know the event organizers are tired. Anytime you're helping others, that is leadership. It doesn't have to be the person that's standing at the front, that's giving all the instructions, that's bossing people around. And the best definition I had of leadership parent of leadership was at St. Mark's School of Texas, which is a very reputable, one of our most reputable private schools here in Texas, where the head of the school said leadership is about working together to achieve a common goal. And any member who is helping others work together to achieve the common goal is considered leadership, is considered a leader. Um, where a few of us are set out and part of a leadership committee and a few of us are working to normalize leadership. It's not just about being the boss and being in front. And if children can step into that sense of connection, engagement and purpose, then they can hit the ground running when they're in their teenage years, when they're in their 20s. So um, something that stood out to me was when you said you don't have to pause things or you don't have to not pursue certain things because you have children. 
but you can bring them along for that, whatever that is. So does that mean like in a practical sense, does that mean just involving them more in like in our bhakti context? Like, is it, you know, bringing them to the temple to do seva and whatever the kirtans or the festivals and things like that? So that means that absolutely. Um, trusting and knowing that your kids can do things with you. Also knowing when to not go because your children are your priority because um, right. you're not going to leave them and desert them um, to run off to a class. Um, right. Knowing the balance of their needs come first, the child's needs come first. It also means um, not feeling inadequate because you're not with your child 24 seven. There's so much guilt in being a mom and a dad. Like, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. I'm not, I'm not giving enough. I'm not, especially for parents in today's world where the expectation is uh, a lot, a two-parent house, a two-parent working household. And so for those parents, knowing how to connect, when to connect, that you don't have to spend 24-7 with your child if you don't have that time. And your child can still be just as um, connected and empowered as any other child. It's just a matter of knowing how to um, communicate with them, how to raise them, how to take care of them. I identified three core needs. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. And those three core needs are Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana. The need of, and it goes really well with psychological principles. I have a, I have a psychology chart in chapter four of my book. Self-determinism philosophy labels it really similarly in a different way. Um, Maslow's hierarchy has it as well. These three core needs. Past the physiological needs, there's the next three level needs. Um, Eric Erickson's stages also has similarities. And so, of course, bhakti is the is the root of everything. And sambandha is the need to connect and belong. And you feel that first. Then abhideya is the need to have free will and agency. I am here for a purpose. I can do it. I know what to do. I know how to do it. And prayojana is the need for achievement and completion. I am satisfied. I am rooted. I'm okay if I make mistakes. I know when to rest because I know I will still get to my goal. Oh, yeah. I just found Check it. Check that out. How did you find that? <laughs> oh, no. I, okay, there it is. Chapter Because you said chapter four, but here it is. Yeah, yeah wow. I'm, I hope you don't mind me sharing pieces of your book. Uh, no, absolutely. I love okay. that you did. That was so fast. Yeah. Yeah. So you were at Abhideya, I believe. Abhideya. And once these three needs are met, then you can start expecting your child to step into what is chapter 11 purpose, dharma, samadhi, absorption, what we call in education, the state of flow. And you know, Namras, I'm seeing this with five-year-olds. I'm seeing this with seven-year-olds, um, kids whose parents know how to communicate with them, know how to support them. They're so absorbed. They know what they want. And a child whose needs are met can then be expected to meet another person's, another child's needs. So when a kid gets in a fight with another kid and you're like, say you're sorry, like, come on, let's get together now and say you're sorry. It's not necessarily helpful because first identify that child who um, hurt the other child. Are their needs being met? Are they comfortable? Are they happy? Once their needs are being met in that conversation or in the dynamic with, uh, you know, at, at home or even in the classrooms, then you can start expecting them to look for the needs of others. And that's where we head into chapter 12, Vadanya, 
um, empathy where I can understand what they need. And then we step into win-win or Sangha, which is we can help each other. And then John Mackey, who's written, uh, who's the CEO of Whole Foods, he's written Conscious Leadership. And this is where I got the win-win-win leadership, which I see as Sankirtan, not just that my needs are met, your needs are met, and we're working with each other, but let's serve the entire humanity. And that is the Sankirtan Yagya. So this, so this first column, leadership parenting, how are those things accomplished like to a specific, to a child? Uh, is it like the way you communicate with them? Yes. So you can um, go, since you're really fast at this, if you want to, if you would like to, you can go to chapter three, um, the end of chapter three. And there we have the list of the different processes. There's a a beautiful drawing, a beautiful image made. Yeah, if you go up a little right there. And so right, that little swan right there. Oh, the swan, okay. Yeah. So these are the different processes. Part one is our meetup and the strategy there is just, I give the introduction of the book. Part two is identity, discovering our identities, where I um, have this cute little acronym KIDS and it talks about how Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that we're Suchinam Srimatam Gehe Yogu Prashtabhichayate, a child born in a spiritual home and a family of transcendentalists. They are already on the path. And he gives so many beautiful, for three verses, he talks about their beautiful qualities. And so kids are kings and queens, intellectuals, demigods, and sages, that those are our children, putting on gold-tinted glasses and seeing them with that lens, using the law of expectations. That's what we do in that chapter. Then we step into the actual process. So we step into part one, uh, sorry, rather part three, which is connect. And those two processes here and love. Here is empathic communication, just super summarized down and learning how to empathically connect with your child. Sounds like you're feeling upset because da 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 Really allowing your child to become a problem solver. When you drop into putting a mirror in front of them and they reflect back to you, you're reflecting back to them what their problem is. They have jnana, satchidananda. You know, they're already chipped full of knowledge and they're already going to start coming up with the solutions on their own and they feel so deeply connected. Right before this call, I was on a parent coaching call and she just finished the here um, lesson in observations. She was like, oh my goodness, it's magical. I just have to say, sounds like you're da 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 And he like completely stopped fighting with his sister and went and brought his sister along and they combed the hair of the doll and the sister together. And What's- I'm like, yep, it's that amazing. What's the wrong way to go about that specific situation? Yes. So there's reject statements and there's empathy blocks that I share in the book. Uh Empathy blocks are B-L-O-C-K-S, boredom, lecturing, one-upping, contradicting, even sympathy. There's so many different ways, rebuking Uh for the reject, embarrassing your kid, exaggerating the problem. There's a lot laid out in the book as to the different ways that we tend to do it. I still do it, man. I'm still like with my 18 year old having to remind myself, hearing my mind react. And then like, <laughs> like he cleans the pots is an example I give frequently. I just had a, an argument with him last night. Of course, now they're like all grown up and they're like adults. And my 18 year old's like, is that in your book? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that backfired. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like wagging his bum. Yes, that's in my book too. Go take the trash out. 
But yeah, there's things that break the connection and we do it regularly because that's how kid, people talk to kids. Why? Why do we have to speak to children this way? I remember so clearly being a four-year-old and thinking I was just as intelligent as every adult around there. I was sitting in the Bible time class reading the verse out. I didn't see myself as so much smaller than the rest of the world. And I right. see the children around me. They don't look at themselves, especially our Bhakti kids. They don't look at themselves as, you know, less intelligent, smaller, shorter. They're just, you know, they're in their own spaces and they're beautiful divine beings from their previous lives. So to mm -hmm. avoid it as much as possible, to get out of that conditioning of negativity, negative language. So. Right. Could you, And then could you go on to, um, I think you were on part four. Yes. So part four is now to enthuse their Abhideya space. The part three is the connection or the Sambandha space. And Abhideya space is how to get your child to do their work, how to get them to do those dishes without like yelling at them, how to ask them to be engaged in service. And Namras, you have two children, right? How old are they? Uh, four and two. Yeah, four and two. Wow. Yeah. A powerful age. You're, you're busy, busy parents there. Yeah. But, yeah. My wife yeah. is the she's the best she's really really good with them i kind of just really try to support her and do what she says because <laughs> yeah. i'm not i'm just a, i'm like i'm a i mean i wasn't i always wanted kids but like now that i have kids it's like i really enjoy being a parent but i'm also just like really learning a lot like on the fly that's why talking mm -hmm. to you is you know i wanted to talk to more devotees who are like fully experienced in parenting because i do have a bunch of questions that we can get to after but uh, yeah, it's it's been great. Yeah, so the serve process, kids love to serve. They love yeah. it. They love it, what, yes. That's absolutely true. They love to serve. And what stops them from serving is the negative connection to any kind of task that comes in. Um, when we drop into threatening consequences because it wasn't done instead of connecting with them and checking on oh hey why wasn't this done is everything okay is there anything i can support you with and so the serve process just lays out modeling um, for your child working with your child energizing the task you know a montessori classroom it's incredible how you get like a whole room full of three to sixes or six to nines or nine to twelves completely engaged in peaceful meditative service with all kinds of challenging tasks, you know, from cleaning the dishes to, to yeah. doing complicated math problems to writing tons and tons of books. And I remember when I was taking my Montessori training, the teacher was, the instructor was teaching us how to roll out a mat, the most basic and boring task in the world. And she's like, all excited about it and she's rolling it out she's taking her fingers and rubbing it on the outside of the mat and energizing every moment and i relate it to the pujari room like when you go into a pujari room it's like super samadhi super absorbed krishna's peacock feathers have to be laid just so right. you know right before you do achman and go on the altar you you say a whole conscious mantra like Everything is in the mood of service. Everything is an expansion of Balaram. And so yeah. I relate that to engaging your child in housework, in things they enjoy doing. And service also covers all of their play because play is just as important as work. It's not like, oh my God, they're playing with the, ro the, the Lincoln Logs right now. And can't you go do your dishes when you have that kind of a mood, which is what we all do with our children that's what makes your kid no longer want to do the dishes so mm. wow that's really fascinating i like that um 
and then accept. So these are all these are all uh, acronyms. Yes. Right? In the in <laughs> the acronym in, heavy. In, yeah, in it is. In each chapter, you'll find all like what they're like. It's all broken down, but this is like the high level thing. So yes, what's, this is the high level. So what's accept? So uh, uh, coming along with serve is also um, consequences, how to enforce consequences, how to give natural consequences, how to communicate with the, uh, communicate them with co compassion. So every single one of these um, spaces, the connection space, the practice space, Sambandha Bideya, they also come with mantras and prayers that I got from the scriptures that energize it. I call them mantra affirmations that energize these spaces. And just ending the serve process, there's a, Compassionate prayer, compassionately, um, hara devi karunya shalinam, something like that. Mm -hmm. I should have it memorized. Um, Srimati Radharani, she is the strength behind the Abhideya process because she is energy, and energy means the will to work, to do work. Um, energy is the ability to move, like Subhadramaya is also like the divine energy that gets things done and accomplishes things. And so that's my part four. And she helps us hold compassionate boundaries for our children, because when we have to hold boundaries and tell them, no, you can't do that. No, that isn't appropriate. No, you can't lie in the bed and brush your teeth. You need to stand at the sink and brush your teeth. She gives us the compassion to be able to say it with love and to redirect them and do it gently instead of just like hitting it down and making it a whole negative circumstance. So from there, we move into Prayojana and Prayojana is the accomplished space, part five. And in order to get somewhere, and this is one of my most powerful chapters that I've actually learned from the teachers at TKG Academy, mainly uh, Mother Sita and Mother Krishna Priya, both are second generation uh, devotees and dear friends of mine. And they talked about, so I go into the classroom, you know, I'm, I'm still very Asian that was raised in America and this and that. We still have our Asian blood of like, you know, get your studies done and studies right. first, nothing else. Right. And so I went into the um, sadhana classroom and I saw a board with a T-chart down it. And on one side is Mother Krishna Priya's name and on the other side is Mother Sita's name. And the students, there's a number underneath it. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. What's this new activity you guys are doing? And this is a group of middle schoolers. And they're like, oh, we're counting our teacher's mistakes. And my face feels hot, like, what? How can you be counting your teacher's mistakes? And, you know, I'm the vice principal and it's my job to make sure that the mood and the structure and like, this is not the proper mood. My mind was going off. And um, I'm like, okay, tell me more. You're counting your teacher's mistake and I'm feeling a little uncomfortable with this activity, but trying to learn, you know, always learning. This was a good six, seven years ago. And one of the students says, yeah, they're trying to teach us that we shouldn't be scared of mistakes, that mistakes are a part of life. And the more mistakes we make, the more we learn. And I was like, wow, OK, that's really interesting. Still trying to understand this. And then one of them pipes up like we can add your name to the list, but that's a little too. <laughs> <laughs> it took me some time. It took me a few days. And then I spoke to them both. And I spoke to the students. And uh, one of the eighth graders a little later on said, um, this is really making it so that when we do our work, we're more engaged and more ready to go to the end because we're okay with our mistakes and we're not scared of them. And their test 
that year's test, like we at TKG Academy pride ourselves with high test scores, even though we have such an alternative way of teaching the kids. And that year's test scores were the highest, even of kids that generally may not be so into that test taking. Of course, taking tests is not our, our goal at the school. Um, you know, we want them to have a holistic education. But that year they were flying through, flying through, because they really got this solid understanding that it's okay to have mistakes. And so this whole chapter is how you deal with mistakes, how you deal with, um, especially because it's about social empowerment. When you're trying these practices, these strategies, and they're not working, when your kid is crying and the um, work that he's done isn't, isn't accomplished, it's not working, what do you do when you feel inadequate, when they feel inadequate, and how you work through that? In order to reach your goal, you have to be comfortable with mistakes and obstacles. So, Right. <clears throat> yeah. And that's the, and then there's part six. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, actually. I'm looking in this diagram, and this is, I do need a second edition. Rest is also an acronym in part five, that part of reaching your goal, you have to know when to rest. And so that's um, chapter 10 is the rest chapter, R-E-S-T, releasing your guilt, escaping every now and then, taking spiritual space, trusting a mentor, like all of that is part of the accomplish in order to get to your prayojana needs, you have to be okay to accept mistakes. You have to be okay to know when to take a break and to walk away and to go get your yourself filled up. So yeah. Um I I have a um a friendly challenge for you. Uh I know this is a this is a great way, this is a great platform to kind of like talk, have a conversation about it. But um the challenge is that two people do devotees need books to help them with parenting when um when it's like it isn't it something that should be innately or should come from within according to your specific child uh and i also see like you know in our generations of indian this is uh, this is specifically for us but uh you know my parents didn't read books, you know, and they parented me just fine, you know? So uh, that's a challenge for you. What what would you say to someone who says, hey, because I kind, I sort of have, like a few years ago, I was, I was wondering, like, should I start reading books? And I was like, no, I don't need to read books. Like, my dad taught me how to parent because the way he parented, you know? So like, yeah. But then I think like, no, but I like hearing you and seeing all these other things like, oh, no, I could learn something, you know, I could be a better dad. So what would you say to that? It, the balance of, okay, I, I can do it with my own uh, conscience and my own, if I'm coming from within, or does something from outside need to help or, or whatever? Yeah. It's a, a great challenge. I've seen that post of yours on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to say a few things that may be considered very controversial. Can I remove this, uh, the picture for yes, now? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. This, I'm all about controversial on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, parenting, from what I see, is not inherent. It's absolutely not natural. Wow. To raise, okay. a, to raise a fully, completely grown human being um, with all of our background um, our own childhood experiences that are all colored by the experience of experiences of our parents in societies that are not nurturing children. Yes, 
if you have been around children, if your parents are around children, if your parents did an amazing job, you had a very wholesome childhood. Um, you're not, you know, sitting on the therapy's couch like, oh my God, my childhood was. But society as we have it today, your childhood was a bhakti childhood. So of course I would say parenting is inherent for you. But I had a bhakti childhood and parenting was absolutely not natural for me. And there are parents that I meet that like they just sit in it. They've got four kids and they're totally peaceful and everything is just perfectly so. And they have no struggles and they know all the answers. They also read books. They're highly educated. They're super confident. That wasn't me. I had read books. I had done Waldorf, Montessori, all kinds of things. And still at every stage, I needed help. I had read tons of books ever since Dr. Sears was like the attachment parenting guru of the, the 2000s. And my kids were at his appointment, like he was our family doctor in uh, Laguna, Laguna Niguel. And so still, when I had my first baby, I was like, nobody told me that this was going to be this hard. And I remember being shocked. And we have like eight years for someone to become a, a car mechanic, eight years of education, years, like full years. And for parenting, there's no education no mandatory education, no from the government, no expected education. There's a Lamaze class that talks to you about how to breathe during labor. Um, and so, you know, of course, this is my field, so I'm going to say it's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree with you. I, 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 you know, for sure. If you feel that you, if, and I also feel that um, on the flip side of that, there is no one strategy that's going to always work for everybody. There is nobody that can tell you like, I get tons of parents coming. Do you have any tips? I'm having struggling with this problem. Do you have any tips? And I'm not going to throw a tip at them. I don't know who they are. I don't know who their children are. I don't know what needs are not being met. I have to spend time with you and hear from you. And really coaching is about asking questions because the, the parent does inherently know the answer. The parent does know their child more than anyone else. So yes, you do know your child more than anyone else, but it helps to have a guide to kind of navigate it. And okay, what are my options to deal with in this circumstance? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a, I do like know that as the years go on, I, I struggle with certain things and I'm like, how does, what's like the best practices for, for this type of thing? Yeah. And that's where these books, like what you wrote and, you know, what people have written about, that's where that comes in, I think, right? Yeah. We ask questions for so many things, don't we? But what I hear from you is that you do, um, you do inherently trust your own upbringing and you inherently trust um, the way that you and Tulsi are raising your beautiful young boys and that inherent trust is so powerful. And so if you have that inherent trust, I would go with that. And I also hear from you that you're curious about, wait, would there be other best practices? So I would definitely listen to your inner guide, you know, your inner light. We introduce the inner parents, Paramatma, in chapter four. And when I work with parents, I'm not like, oh my God, why did you do that? Stop doing that and do this. Here are some guiding principles. See what works for you. Come back to me. We'll work through it. And we find just with empathic communication, with those of us who've been raised with empathic communication, I learned it when I was from Bihari Prabhu when I was like 13. And those of us who are raised with that, um, we fall into it naturally with our children. But most parents, 
they don't know how to how to hear their children when their child comes and cries. They don't know what do I say in response. My kid is fighting with another kid at school. My kid's getting horrible grades. My kid's fighting with their brother. What do I say? How do I deal with it? Oh my goodness, they don't have the strategy. So a simple strategy like, oh, okay, I can say that and that'll kind of settle it down. There's a ton of strategies out there, Namras. There's a ton yeah. of books, a plethora something, of books. Yeah, something that I... Um that annoys me is is when there's not enough parenting and it's more like a abstract not abstract but it's like um like i i, I overhear my wife talking about it like it's i don't know is it called gentle parenting or something i don't know anything about it so don't get at <laughs> you know, don't get mad at me but it's like where you're it's like that's exactly the opposite of what my parents did you know like it's not just, like i turned out i turned out great but but like i was disciplined you know they were was, like smacked yeah exactly there's like lines you don't cross but then there's this kind of parenting style which is like talking to them about it and not really making any like putting the fear of god is like is a part of my is part of my upbringing and i think it helped me become the person who i am like what do you feel about that kind of up like i'm sure you know you come from indian background also like, upbringing yeah exactly so what's your view on that i was really um it was a an odd combination my dad um my dad's mom opened the one of the first montessori schools in gujarat really and he was raised he was raised montessori and he taught us and only later when i got into involved in montessori and i shared it with my family back home did they did they tell me this he was raised where like my cousin gopal was 5 and we were in dc and my aunt and my mom were cutting cauliflower and gopal was a really little kid and they he came to sit down and grab the knife to cut it and naturally mommy and my auntie are like hey put the knife away and my father's like no wait i remember this and he sat down and he took Gopal's hand and he taught him how to cut the cauliflower. And yeah. only later on when I started like getting involved this to this extent in education did I realize oh my god, Pidaji, like that's how he raised us. It wasn't the shame, it wasn't the guilt, the fear that's usually from the Asian background. And I do um and this is an un like someone can say unfounded, but through all my research and looking at the history of India the history of the different empires that invaded india we went from bhakti which is love it's a little different than gentle parenting because it is more expectations than gentle parenting it is expecting your child to step into who they are who their transcendental spiritual identity is their potential their purpose whereas gentle parenting doesn't have that end goal from what i can understand um but we went from bhakti to dominance so the Indian population was expected to become minions basically and just serve and that is that subservient and obedience and it's like throughout everything but it's completely against how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu worked with devotees and with people and so in every single chapter you'll see a bhakti tie in how should the Prabhupada use these principles the empathic principles all of them serve everything and how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu infused bhakti so bhakti someone could say is like a combination of gentle and strict um but I learned this through working with my husband. My husband had to literally very gently beat out 
the like the hand that goes up to smack the kid because you were smacked as a kid <laughs> mm-hmm. and like no that's not okay that's not bhakti yoga um that's uh that's a tradition and a culture an asian tradition and a culture that's rooted in shame and guilt to motivate and when you root people in shame and guilt to motivate their needs are not being met they don't know their purpose they take a long time to figure out who am I and why am I here. The whole Atato Brahmajigyasa comes later. Self-realization, self-reflection, all of that comes later because you're just you're doing things because it's what society and family and community expect of you. Doesn't mean you throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's always a, you know, life is always a nuanced approach, but that's my yeah. answer to that. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, uh, it does. But also, um, so then if it's not, I understand the shaming and all that stuff. That's, that's very, uh, you know, that's very true. So then how to discipline, like, according to your book, how, what's the way to discipline? Cause not ever, cause, cause you might have a kid who is, yeah. Uh, if you talk to them a certain way, they're going to react a certain way because of the way their personality is, but there could be a kid who is a personality doesn't match that kind of communication style. Right. And they could still act out or still. So what's the, what's the way to discipline or, or make boundaries rather. I disciplined my older son um, with very strict expectations, more Asian Indian. Um, by the time he was around 11, 12, we, it wasn't as strict as my, my background was with um, our whole society and the way that kids were raised in those days in ISKCON yeah. and outside ISKCON. Yeah. But still I was very open in my communication with him when he turned 12 is when he started actually communicating to me what he didn't appreciate and memories that he had of how um, how he was traumatized by certain expectations I had of him and how I didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. He's always been a, a very submissive boy, but it affected him even more because uh, I'm a, you know, we can all as parents be kind of intense. And my husband was always like the yin to my yang, as you say, like, he's American. He was raised a lot more love, a lot more openness, a lot more freedom. And so he balanced that out. Mm-hmm. Discipline with just do what I say, because I'm saying you have to do it. It works until they become teenagers. It'll work past their teenage years. Ultimately, and it may work for, I don't want to say general comments for whole societies, Yeah, yeah. but if your child, if you want your child to step into who they are meant to be, there's a reason why they go through pre-adolescence. They go through an independent stage. They go through questioning everything you're telling them to do. They have to stand on their own feet. And if they're not allowed to question, if they're not allowed to step away from just obedience and do what I say because I'm saying it, the earlier you do that with your child, the earlier you allow them to question, you give them explanations for why you're expecting them to do what they do, the quicker they will step into purpose. Okay, this is what I enjoy doing. This is who I am. I'm not going to become a doctor because my whole family and everybody and my uncles and aunties and everybody are doctors. I'm going to become a doctor because I really want to serve people I love. I'm good with my hands. You know, like I'm yeah. kinesthetic. Like, my younger son, he's so like so stepped steeped in purpose. He's got a Mazda Miata outside. It's like a 1992 little toy red car, and he's always working on it. He does 
builds drones. He's because I was a lot more working with him and the older one was older at that point, uh, stepping into him, not just obedience and submission and heavy discipline. You asked about kids acting out. A child who's acting out isn't acting out because they want to be defiant. The generosity principle is expect the best. It's because something isn't working in them. And so I work with parent after parent after parent right now. And I'm seeing amazing since this book came out, especially before that I was doing it, but at a lower level. Now it's a high end level. It's a large commitment from parents who want me to be coaching them because it's a serious thing to work with your children and to see what your child's needs are. And I work with parent after parent and Namras. It's been amazing. It's been magical. Like they call me like my kid doesn't listen to any of my instructions. They're defiant. I can't get them to do simple things. And then when I start listening, most of me is just listening and then saying, okay, take the course and then let's discuss your specific scenarios. Within three weeks, it's like completely turned around because they're hitting their needs through here, through the love boost, through serve process. They're hitting the child's needs. A four-year-old is just as intelligent as any 40-year-old. They have just as much a sense as Sambandha Bide and Prayojana the need to connect, the need to accomplish, the need to develop. And if you try and continuously just force them to do things your way, it's not fair. It's not fair to them. Yeah. Uh, Along the same lines, I just want to switch gears for a minute. Uh, Knowing all that you know about parenting and, you know, just being full, really, really steeped in it, educated in it. What do you feel the mistakes of our society, ISKCON specifically, have been in the past in regards to children? The biggest. It's a big question. Sorry, it's a big question. Big question. The biggest mistake has been the mistake of equating Krishna consciousness with negative negativity. Mm. The the young boy who's chanting his rounds, who's whose father is telling him he's a juvenile delinquent because he's not chanting properly. The um, the child who doesn't go to the temple and uh, who doesn't want to go to the temple or does something wrong at the temple, running around in the temple room. And mom says, go sit and write two chapters of Krishna book because you're in trouble. Um, that was my generation. I mean, I, my generation had so many more, so many more very horrible, horrible mistakes, dumping the kids in sleeping bags in um, there in the showers I was part of a team in 1996. And this is a thing that's really heavy on my mind right now as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of um, the Dallas Gurukul. And I, I know that I had said that we don't want to get so much into this as a very painful topic. I have learned so much from it. But the biggest mistake is equating spirituality with rules and regulations for children. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, With disciplining kids in order to get them to be spiritual. Yeah. I guess that that also leads me to another question uh, more in more general. A concern of a parent is always, especially myself, is how do we preserve that spiritual identity of the of the child while still having them interact with uh a, a world that doesn't encourage spirituality but encourages the exact opposite so how do we preserve that going forward for for a child as a parent how do we preserve the spirituality what was the question of a world basically balancing uh 
and supporting the child's identity while helping them navigate living in a world which doesn't support spirituality? I'm learning that still right now. I have a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old who are navigating the world. And I'm watching. I've stepped back now. And for the most part, stepped back and watching how they balance the um, their college and their social spaces with their friends and um, their Krishna consciousness, their desire to serve, go to the temple, do kirtan. Um, the way that I've answered it for them and for myself is that you don't separate it. The life, our life in the world, our work, our job, our responsibilities is devotional service. Mm. It is, again, I don't want to say controversial things here, but <laughs> please, it's fine. As a guru, this is Kuli, a safe space. as a guru, Kuli, is it though? <laughs> As the worst that can happen. Let, let me tell you something. The, I've I've gotten a real <laughs> thick skin over the past few years because of this. And the You're worst amazing. thing that's happened is that the words on a screen and I read them. No one's ever come to my house. No one's ever threatened me. Well, that's <laughs> not true. I have gotten threatened, but it's it's like it's it's very much uh, like a scary thing. But it's just words on a screen, honestly. Excellent. Okay, so you're giving me some strength here. Bhaktivinoda yes. Thakur um, wanted high court judges who wore tilak. That means that their service of being a high court judge was just as important as their service of doing arti in a temple. And so seeing our children as, oh my God, they're devotees because they're in the temple doing kirtan and playing bhajan, but oh, that is all material and why are you engaged in that? that needs to end that mm. that duality that needs to end right um that's what i i can say it's all service a flow academic absorption samadhi is everything you do is service your temple is your home is your temple your work you bhakti has got the most amazing my home my work everything manasadehageha i offer unto you and so i i'm hoping that the students that I'm working with, that the children whose parents I'm, the children that I'm responsible for through their parents uh, coaching, the society, I'm also the Ministry of Education representative. We have a team that's growing right now um, and working with 72 schools in North America. I'm hoping that all together, all of us, the children that we are raising, don't have this black and white idea that in the school, I'm a non-devotee, at the temple, I'm a devotee. Yes. That everything is me. I'm a devotee everywhere, yeah. you know, and that, that, okay, right now I'm doing homework or I'm watching TV. So what? You're resting, you're chilling, you're getting your strength. Get back up there and do what you are meant to do and chant your rounds and focus on the name and connect, connect, connect with Krishna. So he gives you the strength to do all of that other stuff, but it's all important and it's all an offering. I love that. I love that non do no duality. I feel like I came to that recently myself, believe it or not. Yeah. While I know people like you and Gopika and Akshar trying to make that wholeness from the very big, you know, from the early age of the, not early, but like as a teenager, not yeah. having that duality that, okay, I can be a devotee at school or I can, you know, I could be a devotee at work. Yeah. 
I feel like it came to it like more recently just because I, I'm just old and I don't care anymore because I'm like my own person. But mm. that's so important, I feel, to to inspire the children to feel that same wholeness of no black and white. It's like everything. It's just a bunch of gray. You know, I'm a devotee. I'm also have my occupation. I also have things I like to do for sense gratification, yeah. perhaps like you said, watching TV or something, but I also like to go to the temple and do service and things like it should all be one. I really believe yeah. that. I'm so glad it, it sounds like you're really discovering that and you're making such an impact. <laughs> yeah. At yeah. 30, 37, almost. Yeah. Oh, wow. You're older <laughs> than I thought you were. You're still a I, baby, but. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife, uh, my wife actually really grew up with that wholeness. You know, she never was, uh, she'll tell you, we should probably do another episode with her because she, she adds so much to the to conversation, but mm. um, she never had this like duality. It's always been like, even when she went to public school in England, she was always mm. like a devotee, always brought prashadam and people were like, yeah. oh, what's that? And she would introduce them to prashadam and you know, yeah. the temple, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I had the complete opposite. I always mm. wanted to keep those things separate from from work and school uh, to an extent. And it's interesting just the journeys people have. Yeah, you, um, your your wife, uh, Tulsi, was um, in a school run by her mother, right? Gurukul. Right, yes. I, I find that the, not all Gurukul kids, but Gurukul kids are more comfortable to own their identity of not it, it not being separate as a general not i'm not going to say you know it's hard to say general rules without actual statistics you have to make sure the facts you speak are based on statistics but right. and then um when you're going to but when i went to public schools the first thing that happened to me was that my identity became separate i was a devotee and then i was not because i wasn't comfortable to show my devotee side to right. the to my school friends i was worried about getting made fun of and and all of that mm -hmm. Um, I guess the next question would be um, how to lay the foundation for good spiritual habits uh, and help the children kind of own them instead of being forced or being a routine type of thing? Yes, that's such a beautiful question. I love this question. So I want to know, Namras, because I've seen many of your posts and Tulsi's and you're doing this. So I want to know right now, how do you do it? Um, I, I just I just have them involved in everything that I do. I do puja in the morning, I have a chant. I always do it around them because mm -hmm. I remember as a kid watching my dad do all those things. And that yeah. kind of like laid a really good some scar like, okay, this is what we do. And um and make it fun. My wife is the one that makes it fun. Like, yes. okay, we're going to like over done puja. We're going to cook a bunch of things and you're going to put on the apron and you're going to have the knife and you can help me cook. Like my older one, he loves helping to cook. Yeah. And um, so I guess to answer your question, it would just be like what you said earlier, just involving, not yeah. stopping those things, but actually just in fully involving them and immersing them in it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly those two things you just said. Involving them and making it fun. Happy Krishna conscious memories. They're gonna they're they're not gonna remember the pages and pages of books they read. They may a little later on. They're gonna remember when they went with their friends and did a whole Govardhan Puja drama or they offered um, you know, juice and ghee and 
um, milk to the Didi's uh, for an Abhishek. And, you know, some kids actually may remember the pages and pages I did. I was very book book oriented. I knew the Brahma Samhita when I was five and like I was very book oriented. So it depends on your child's personality. But make it fun. Even the books is all stories. Give them stories. You can give them philosophy too. give the philosophy at their level. We had an amazing situation happen here. I, I teach Bhagavad Gita verses to my students. Um, they're six, seven, eight, my day morning students, my my main homeroom students. I teach the lower elementary. And I've been doing this for years. And in, back in 2015, was it? Or 2017? Don't remember the year. Um, every year I teach the songs, the students, the verse, and then we do hand movements and the song, the typical Gurukul way, you know, where you do, Dehi knows and you do hand movements and you stand up and we twirl and jump and do all kinds of dances with these verses. And then the kids come up with the songs or we sing it as a song. And this I was doing year after year after year. And I remember one summer really questioning it. Another teacher had come and she was questioning it. Like, why are you teaching six-year-olds verses about death? Like Dehi knows is like all about the body and death. And so I started questioning it, like, am I supposed to not teach these verses? And yeah, does it make any impact? Does anybody ever even remember it? And this young girl was in our school. She had come for about three years. It was her fourth year with us, I believe. And suddenly, in the middle of November, I get a call um, at 2 a.m. that her house is burned down. And her mom her dad has passed away and her mom is in the hospital completely burned. And I don't know if you heard about this, uh, that happened in Dallas and we rushed, we rushed to the, um, to the hospital. She was my student. She was my, one of my prize students, little Indian girl. They had moved all the way from Irving, like five, an hour away to be in the school. And I, um, spent the night with her, at another devotee's house for about a week. And we all, the whole community came together to support her while her mother was in the hospital. And after three weeks, her mother passed away too. And all of us were begging college. And she like, come on, let him, let her live, let her live. And during those three weeks and after she stayed um, in America for another year or so. And then her Masi came from South India and took her and took care of her. And if you're listening, Haribo, you know who you are. And she, um, she sat and astounded all of us with her faith in those Bhagavad Gita verses. My entire class, you know, there's six-year-olds and a few friends that I have that aren't like 100% Bhakti, when I tell them the story, they're like, okay, like they were just brainwashed. No, she sat in a room full. She, the psychologist came to ex help her explain to her friends what had happened so that she could own it and be in control of it and explain to her friends. It was over Thanksgiving break. So she had a few days and then she came back to school and we were asking, you don't have to come to school if you don't want to, but she wanted to be with all of us. And the psychologist is sitting there and asking questions to the students like, what are your thoughts on death? Uh, how do you explain death? Like asking this girl, how are you going to explain this that has happened to your dad, to your friends? And she starts reciting the verses. 213, 220, the soul, 816, wow. that my mother's gone back to Krishna, you know, like the English, the Sanskrit. And she goes and gets all of her friends. They're all sitting in there. I could say all their names right now. They're like my little kids now. They're all like 15 or whatever, but they're all singing the songs 
And you know when you're connected to Krishna. You know when a moment is like it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual moment. I was there, another teacher with it was there, a parent volunteer was there, the psychologist was were there. Tears were just out of everyone's eyes. The psychologist was a Christian, and she said, I have never seen such a well-adjusted group of kids. Like they're so confident that at the end of life they're going to go somewhere. And it was the strength of the Gita and the strength of Krishna's words. And it did, a six-year-old, a three-year-old can feel deeply connected to the Lord, does know who Krishna is, and can be engaged in spiritual, happy, fun activities. They have Raganuga, Vaidhi Raganuga Bhakti. They have spontaneous attachment to the Lord. And when you force them to do Krishna conscious activities, because you're trying to set external benchmarks on them, it ruins that spontaneity. You must do this. You must go to the temple. If you don't know how to engage your child in a fun, exciting way, just don't engage them. <laughs> let them be. <laughs> let's right. let them be, please. Let them be happy. Let them have fun Krishna conscious. Don't force your kid to stay in an hour class that's boring where the, the speaker's not talking to them or get bring coloring for them to do bring some activities for them we were always doing like dd outfits in the in the bhagavatam classes because we all went to bhagavatam class in our childhood up until like age whatever 15 or 16 so yeah it's so important namraz oh my god i can't i can't begin to say how important this is yeah and and along the same lines you were saying about you know that someone was saying oh why do you say things about death and things yeah. <laughs> the question comes about uh, death and, you know, Krishna's pastimes with the demons, like the <laughs> killing and all that stuff. I personally don't care. Like, I am fully uncensored when it comes to telling pastimes <laughs> to my kids. I'm like, killed, you know, put his hand <laughs> in his mouth and exploded and his eyes popped out the whole nine yards. Boys, right? all about that. Yeah, but some kids, some parents have concerns about that. What do you tell a parent when they come to you and say, a devotee parent, and they say, hey, what should I, should I censor these things or, or should I just, you know, say them? These are like, these are cultural sensitivities. These are also culturally what the parent stands for, conservative, liberal. Okay, I'm from Texas, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was in California. In California, there was like never gun fingers. And right. we have a few teachers that are totally against gun fingers. And then right. I moved to Texas and it's like totally a different world. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. You you look back to the 50s and the 20s and there's Tom and Jerry and there's all kinds of violence in those. Yeah. Even all the nursery rhymes, um, rock-a-bye baby on a treetop, when the wind blows, the cradle will rock. Do you know the second or third line of that? When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall, down goes little baby, cradle and all. Yeah, um, baby fall the, the cradle, that's... I mean, the rose, Jack and Jill went up the hill yes. to fetch a pail of water, Jack fell down and broke his ground. I mean, violence is everywhere. <laughs> and so it's... <laughs> It's not just the Krishna conscious stories. We have become a lot more of a PC culture. It's really about the parent sensitivities. How comfortable are you with it? I will say that when I was in um, a really young girl and I was in preschool, I did learn the song. Mergari was a wicked, wicked one. He half killed animals just for fun. He let their little bodies lie in the forest to slowly die. And we're lying on the ground and the drama teacher is telling us that I'm a half killed deer. I'm like four. I have to. <laughs> I love this. Oh my I have God. To... 
I have to pretend like I'm a half killed deer. I have to shake like I'm half killed. Oh my God. That's horrible. So that's out, right? right. Um, even when we were doing the English for the Sharira Vijja, um, networks of paths leading to death. To death yeah. And so let's be sensible for sure. Let's right. be sensible. And yes, Krishna's pastimes are gory. How much, if you're a teacher, um, do you need to get into all the gore and blood? The Bhagavatam is full of like descriptions of the women's, you know, what's and tatas, you know, like you don't, how much do you need your teenager to be reading that? You know, so like, let's be sensible. At the same time, Krishna is teaching children that I'm here to, I got you no matter what, because life is full of stuff. You know, like yeah. life is life is not easy. And having a little bit of black and white where it's like, no matter what hits me, the Lord will protect me because the Lord can just with a simple punch, he can blow up this big demon's brains. You know, like that faith, the whole purpose of all those stories is to get faith that you're going to be in a hospital one day. You're you're family member is going to pass away one day you're going to be faced with someone you love completely leaving you one day and you will be in this very uncomfortable circumstance and that's reality and so if they know that krishna protects me no matter how horrible it gets then that's the purpose of those stories so just yeah, yeah. be practical be practical be sensible i like that um in your experience being like a second generation devotee we see that a lot of our Oh, did we lose? I'm here. Can you see me still? It says that I'm in the show and everyone can see and hear me. Yeah, everyone can see and hear. I think my I think my thing. Oh, your camera? My ca okay. camera overheated. Let me go to the backup one here. Hold on a second. Awesome. This happens from time to time. Yeah, I'm glad mine didn't. Yeah. Didn't knock out. Uh cam settings webcam um, oh, okay sorry yeah there you are there i am okay um as a, as being a second generation devotee a lot of your peers have rejected or disconnected themselves from the community. And we've seen that throughout the years. Uh, yes. Is there any kind of noticeable pattern or recurring theme as to why, in your opinion, that happens? This is precisely why I do what I do in education and with parents. If you associate Krishna consciousness with negativity, your children will not want to be Krishna conscious when they hit 18 and 20 and 22. Why would they? And my generation got it the worst. There were so many amazing teachers and educators and devotees who were trying their best during my generation, my husband's generation, which is a bit older. But society wasn't educated as to how to make Krishna consciousness fully enjoyable. It was like the Christian and Jewish and Hindu principles of rules and regulations came in and rooted out the bhakti for the kids. And because of that, you have negative associations with things. It's basic behavioral psychology. Why would you do it again? Why would you want to live your life like that? And so this is why Gopika and Aksh Sharma, who have um, Make Bhakti Matter seminars right now coming along, are working hard. This is why the Ministry of Education, 
with Tepin Mishra Prabhu is working hard to empower children. This is why Gandharvika Gorangi from Mayapur is working hard to connect with children. This is why I'm doing um, teacher training workshops and leadership parenting workshops for the devotees, you know, for the um, for the bhakti yogis, because a child has Brahmande Brahmite Kun has wandered all around the world, come into your home ready for bhakti yoga. And I'm, I get on a preachy, like a get in a super preachy space here at Namras because <laughs> it's so disturbing to me to have Krishna consciousness associated with negativity. And I've had to work through that myself. Yeah. I've had to learn how to not have negativity associated with for my own children, for my own students. And it's been a process for me to learn how to do that so that I can infuse every interaction with love. And that's what my book's all about for teachers and for parents. Infuse all your interactions with love. That doesn't mean you don't have standards for them. You don't have expectations for them. Let them do whatever they want to do. It's not like either you're like yelling at them and strict and sit like this and move like this, or they're running all around. No, you can have your child sit and move correctly and act correctly and socially responsible um, and academically stoic, but not have to be shamey and guilty and negative. So, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. I get off. No, it does. It does. It does. Um, I think, yeah, I think the theme is the negativity and the kind of like, as they're growing, making sure that spiritual activities or anything to do with the temple is related with something negative or something um, that's like a punishment or something, something bad, because then that, as they get older, that that stays with them. Um, and also d doing everything with the love with love, uh, is I think so, super important from what I'm, from what I'm hearing from you, uh, what would you say are from, from coaching parents, like for years now, uh, what are the main challenges parents face now Yes, that you're seeing so as a theme? It's demographically oriented, different, different demographics yeah. are more, um, are more stressed about different factors. Uh, the main thing is how do I get my kid to follow my instructions and how do I do, deal with defiance? Mm. Uh, the second main thing, and that's been arising so much more since the pandemic, is how do, do I have my child be confident to make friends and be okay in social structures, know where they belong, whether they're five or seven or 12 or 18. Right. So those are the two main uh, main categories that, that I deal <clears> with. <throat> There's a lot of little ones. Of course, for devotees, how do I get them to want to chant? Um, mm. How do I get them to want to come to the temple? But it all is rooted in Sambandha connection. If you know your child, you're connected with them, you take time to hear them, you take time to hear, just give them a feeling of being seen, yeah. that they're so important to you. They're so uh, such beautiful divine beings just amazing little creatures, little Krishna Balarams and Sita Rams in your house. Like, yeah. Connect with them through very practical and all about the practical, practical strategies that can be done, sentences you can say that you can try out, ways that you can look at them and bring in other tools. If you do those with your child, they feel that they're being seen, they feel valued, they feel like they matter. And then you'll start seeing everything else easily manageable. Yeah, personally, I would say that from preaching to myself, don't let, mm -hmm. don't let, live such a fast life where you can't just like sit down and understand 
like what you're saying, ask the questions, getting getting to know them where they're at, even as a young, like a young kid, like a four-year-old, like to, I love asking him questions because I'm kind mm -hmm. of like, it, it opens, it opens a door into his, like what's going on up there because life can yeah. be so fast sometimes as a, as a father, as a parent that, okay, we get caught up in like the day-to-day -day and okay, uh, you know, all the things, all the chores I have to do or all the things I need to accomplish, but to sit down, like from what I'm hearing from you is that it's important to sit down and communicate and get to start that, you know, that conversation. And, and I think that helps because I always thought I always had friends in school, like just non-devotee friends who were like really close with their parents. They could tell their parents everything. And like, mm. I, I saw how they interacted by going to their house even. And I'm like, mm. this is so far from what I have my relationship with my parents are all of course it was a very beautiful I had an amazing childhood amazing parents but it wasn't that kind of relationship um which in some ways I don't know if it's it, it, some for some kids it works and some parents it works but for uh for I didn't have that but I just thought that was a really cool thing where the where the kid, even though he was young, could just like be really open with the parents. And I want that for my child. Like if any issue, yeah. like you're never in trouble, you're, you, you can yeah. just tell me anything, you know, it, I want that communication to be there. I love hearing your discovery of it, you know, and yeah. that you're turning it into what you are looking for, for your child. It's a very, it sounds like you're, you're relishing it. And that's the, so that's the beauty of of kids, they're so intelligent. They blow your mind away. Yeah. Four-year-old, like the questions they ask, the thought processes they have, it literally blows your mind away. And that's, I was very fortunate. My father was that to me. We'd yeah. come back from Gurukul at 13 and he would sit at the table and he would ask us questions. He would ask us the same questions again and again. So then what did that friend do? And then we'd be like, oh, yeah, and this happened, that happened. He would just listen and listen and listen. Yeah. Um, all the marriages, I just finished Giraj marriages on Vyasa Puja. We went there on Saturday. Hours and hours, like his third um, Vyasa Puja, because he has a lunar one and then a, a different ones according to different local environments. And listening and listening and listening. How much they listened. Jaitanya Mahaprabhu listened for eight days, or was it seven days, to Sarvabhambhattacharya. Right. If you want to connect with someone's heart, you hear. And I love hearing that you're discovering that and how connected you're starting to feel. Definitely. I always wanted to be that mom where my kids tell me everything. Now all the stuff my older one is telling me is like things I did when he was not all, but every now and then he'll throw in a bit of like, yeah, you did that. And I didn't, it wasn't cool. Cause I was a very strict mother until he was about six or seven. Um, and not very strict. I was still kind of like not as strict as my mom was, but it's a different age than our parents' time. They had different expectations. They were in a different society. In that society, you can't have your own opinions if you're 12 years old. You do right. what everybody expects you to do. It was a, it was you know, imperialistic society. So, yeah. yeah. Being the vice principal of the TKG Academy, how has that been for you as a yeah. person, as a parent? That's my happy space. The the classroom, the kids every morning. We have kids that like run to school. Not we have kids. Every single kid runs to school. If a child is not running to school because they're unhappy, there's something seriously broken. And we do 
meetings and meetings and parent conferences and so much to try and figure out why is this happening? What is broken here that this child's not happy? Love and happiness is the basis because they can't be motivated like you see in my process. They can't be motivated to do schoolwork even if they're not comfortable first. And so TKG Academy is my offering to my spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada. It's where I get all my devotee association. Our teacher sanghas, our monthly meetings and bi-monthly bi meetings are like, we're all just like chilling and discovering and deeply talking about academic principles and philosophy. My boys graduated, uh, my younger one, this was this is now my second year without my kids being in the school because both of them went to Tegeji Academy from four all the way to 16 before they entered the dual credit program. And it was a question for me, like, am I gonna still do this or am I gonna move on now? My kids aren't in here. Do right. I really need to still be, you know, it's very little pay. It's mostly, you know, it's an ISKCON institution. So it's not ISKCON, it's a separate institution legally, but it's a devotee school. Um, and that realization that this is my service to Srila Prabhupada. This is where Srila Prabhupada had his first school in Dallas. This is what he said, Krishna's choice. This is why Radha Kalachanji were brought to ISKCON, to the community for the kids. And I love it. I love it. I get such deep relationships with the children there, with the teachers, with the parents. It's just, it's my happy place. Could you tell us a little bit about like specifications in the sense of how many kids there are, how many teachers yeah. there are? Also, is it like a, has it do anything with the government in the sense of, you know, I know there's schools that have government funding. How does that all work? Is yes, it, is it yes. like that or not? We get grants here and there from the government, from corporate okay. environments. We have a, a healthy monthly um, donor program and donor base very uh, large community here in Dallas who support uh, financially the school. Um, we're very grateful to them. And we have, I believe right now, 18 teachers. Um, most, uh, about half are academic full-time teachers and half are, and I might be getting these numbers wrong, are subject teachers. So we have art and PE and for five different levels, we've got a early childhood, lower elementary, um, upper elementary, middle school, and high school program. And so we've got a variety of teachers that come in and out with different schedules. And um, so the kids, kids who, who, the kids who, who, who get, who are going through high school there, they get their high school diploma at the end. Yes. Yes. They, oh, wow. anyone who uh, they get their high school diploma, they get, they get a chance if they qualify to enter the dual credit program at the community colleges, Dallas colleges. Right. And from there they can step into university. So wow. they can go into Something university like with um, already 30, 50 credits, depending on what they want to do. It's all about how the child is, what their interest is, what their degree plan is and what their um, ability is as far as managing the college classes with the um, the core classes at TKG Academy, so. So it's from like a very, like really young preschool or whatever, kindergarten or whatever, Threes, all yeah. the way up to, all the way up to high school. Three-year-olds to high school. We've had a, a healthy class of high schoolers until the pandemic hit. And then we um, got down to just a student and then two students and it was a, a little less, but we do have the program in place. We have a program in place and as soon as there are you know enough students it, it'll start up again right now we've got a beautiful young girl she's in her senior year and she's doing tkg academy and dual credit courses managing it very well and about to finish up yeah i mean she's wow. got this year so 
I would assume that's quite unique in America. Like there's not so oh, many yeah. of those, right? Oh, yeah. We've got just a small handful. We've got Bhaktivedanta Academy in Alachua, uh, which you're aware of. We've got um, here, uh, Dallas, and there are no other Hare Krishna schools that offer high school that I know of. There wow. uh, may be homeschool co-ops. I don't know of right. any homeschool co-ops either that offer high school, like from pre-K to high school. Right. Wow. That's that must be a lot of work in the sense of like all logistical mm -hmm. stuff for like 18 teachers. That's like, uh, so how many students again? How many students? We have 40 there? students okay. about give or take some years is 45, some years is 37. It's average 40. Um, it is a lot of work. Mother Nichikishori is the principal of the school. Both of us work hand in hand. This is where our main life is, but we've mm -hmm. been doing it for many years officially for about 10 is it now eight i don't remember officially for about eight years i believe 2015 is when we became the administration um and before that unofficially a lot of the support for the previous administration which is why we stepped into the administration and so every year we're able to add another level of like like this year, we're going to work on the science curriculum. Next year, we're going to work on the math curriculum. This year, we're going to work on the gardening program. Next year, we're going to work, you know, like that. And we have some very solid teachers. So those teachers are our backbone. Um, a very, a very bustling community of parents that are that are very excited, all on the same page. It's it's a, it's our happy, it's my happy place. It's literally out of everything I want to do. That's where I love to be. And everyone lives around and is everyone devotees? Because I know there's schools like in other countries where the the, the even non-devotee kids want to go there just because it's like the local school there and it's nice. Yes, we have every year we have a, a probably a 10% non-devotee students. Really? Um, yeah. That's so fascinating to me. Yeah. From like, what do the parents think? What do the parents who are not devotee, like, what do they think about it? They're, usually they're... Um, from a Christian background and okay. love the religious tones right. or they're from a yoga, kirtan, kalachanji's okay. um, background. I just had a meeting last week with um, parents of a, of a non-bhakti um, student and they're like, I just want to let you know that if he's into the mantra meditation and into all of this, like, don't <laughs> stop it. Like, let him do what he's doing. So and nice. I was like, okay. Yes, you know, it's really sweet. Every year we have, last year we had um, uh, quite a few students that had come from, it depends on how much marketing we do in those areas. But we, right. you know, Bhakti is becoming a lot more prominent, a lot more accepted with the work that your sister-in-law, Janavi, is doing with Jay Shetty's work, with just, it's like with Gauravani's work, there's, it's becoming so much more acceptable and so much more yeah. the cool thing. We live in metropolitan Dallas. And so it's, it's definitely like the cool thing to, to be interested in Eastern philosophy and all that. So, yeah. Well, Gobi Gita, it was really fa oh, fascinating wow. speaking with you. It's time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's time, but I do want to say before we, we end, I want to know what are your future aspirations, projects, things <laughs> you're working on? Every single parent needs to invest in their child. Here's my little quote here, my little uh, promo. Sure. And join the leadership parenting program. Join the um, teacher workshops if you're an educator, um, whether they're mine or Gopika and Akshay's. Whatever you can do to enhance your connection with the children in your care, we have the responsibility, Namras, to usher in 
the golden age, to be a part of the golden age. And I remember hearing when I was a very little girl that Lord Chaitanya's train or the train is already gone. It's already passing us by. It's up to us to jump on it and make it relevant and relatable to ourselves and to our families. And so if you have a child, your child comes first, their Krishna consciousness, their happiness comes first and foremost, and find ways to help them. Like you have it naturally because your parents are wonderful Vaishnavas and have raised you both so incredibly, you and Kushangi Devi. But most people don't know what to do with their kids. So find out what to do with your child and how to really bring out their purpose so that when they're 20, and when they're 25, they can be like Namras and Kushangi and Janavi and Tulsi. So that's my message to the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So if you want to get in touch with Gopi Gita, you can go to our website. Uh, people can contact you through there as well? Yes, they can contact me on my website. If you're finding your child's defiant, unempowered, uninterested in Krishna consciousness, disconnected, contact me right away. You'll get a free one-hour consultation call. Oh, wonderful. And so for that? audio listeners, it's www.gopi.com. GITA.com. You can get in touch with her there. I I personally don't feel like I have a handle on parenting, but but p talking to you, I do feel there are certain principles that I can implement that would help me out uh, a lot more. And there's always room to learn. I, I think a few years ago, I did have this thing where I was like, oh, I got this, but it's not like that. I don't think like now going through it even more, uh, you know, as the, as my children get older, it's like, Oh my gosh, I do need help. I do need to learn things. Mm -hmm. I need to get the experience of other parents, of people who are educated like yourself in the psychology of children and all that stuff. That's so, mm -hmm. it's so needed and um, forever student in that way, I would say for myself. So um, thank you again for, for, for talking about your story and also about your book. Um, can people get your book through the your website? Yes, also? they can go on my website and get my book as well. Gopikita.com slash new dash book. But it's, the link is right there on the front page. Namras, when I met you, the first thing I asked you was, tell me a little bit about yourself. And you said, I'm a constant learner. And so mm -hmm. one thing that I've learned through parenting is that I'm always learning more through parenting. Yeah. There's never a stopping of it. I'm sure you experienced that. And I've also learned that my child leadership parenting and this is a little bit more of an advanced concept is that your child has been brought to work to help you work through your anartas in a way that they become your guide because they're kids for the first 18 19 years then they step into being the ones who are going to support you and guide you if we're able to see it as that with that lens with our vaishnava children we grow we go through so much growth as we work with our children's growth and so that's what my hope is for the parents of the world and for you as well. Fantastic. I hope devotees get in contact with you and, and learn a lot from you. You really need to put your, um, you know, everything out there so people can learn. But thank you again for, for joining. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, talk to you later. Uh, please stay on. I'm just going to turn off the recording. Sure. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.